Well, I want to rejoice with you this morning that uh, across our three campuses in uh, five different services today, uh, we're going to be baptizing 14, 14 uh, people. So can we just celebrate that together as one church? Yeah. So great uh, to be able to be with you today. And uh, in 1 John this morning, uh, we're going to learn a critical skill, uh, the skill of spotting false teaching. Uh, This is a skill that uh, Christians in every age have desperately needed, and we're no exception. In fact, we probably need this skill uh, now more than ever, as uh, since the onset of the internet, it uh, would appear as if false teaching is proliferating at a record pace. At the very least, we can say it's now uh, more far-reaching and accessible uh, than ever. That said, uh, it might surprise you that uh, there were false teachers even amongst the first Christians. Uh, In fact, the the New Testament is clear uh, that uh, false teachers plagued uh, the early church. And and that's why we we see basically false teaching being addressed in pretty much every New Testament uh, letter. Even Jesus himself warned about it, and this was before there were any uh, churches or Christians. Here's just one example. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we need to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It took very little time after Jesus' ascension for these words to come true. Uh, And that's why the disciples so often repeated his warning uh, to the churches that they either planted and or ministered to. This includes John, uh, who in our passage today is going to give one of the most thorough treatments of false teaching in the New Testament. It's a passage that I believe is going to be very, very helpful in equipping us uh, not only to spot false teachers, but to also refute them. Now, this will, of course, uh, require us to do a little work, but that's going to be, um, I completely believe it's going to be completely worth it. And so I I just want to invite you to dig in with me today. And and as we do so, let's first go uh, to the Lord and ask for his help uh, this morning. Father, we come to you and uh, we, we, we rejoice today in, in all the people that are going to be baptized uh, at Harmony Bible Church. Uh, we rejoice in these people who are uh, taking the next step and following you, who are uh, testifying before their brothers and sisters and really before the world uh, that they have decided to follow Jesus and that for them there, there really is no turning back. We, we rejoice in that and all the work that you are doing um, here in our church in, in this day and time. And we thank you for the many more people that we, we look forward to baptizing in, in the week ahead. Lord, I want to pray even uh, this morning that you will draw people to yourself, uh, that you will save people, um, that you will call them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And Lord, now um, as we go to your word and and we really uh, come this morning um, right onto uh, Satan's turf, uh, we realize that he is the one, and and we're even going to see that today, uh, who is behind all the false teaching in our world. Uh, We know that uh, false teachers speak because they are influenced and directed by him. And so, Lord, we we need your protection. uh, But we also want to affirm as we begin that, as John's going to tell us, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so, Lord, we we come to you today and we ask in the the powerful name of Jesus uh, for your protection and for the spirit of Jesus to be with us, to guide us, direct us, to illuminate us. Um, and to teach us today from his word. It's in his powerful and mighty name we pray. 
Amen. All right, let's take a look at our passage, and we'll pick up in verse 1. John writes this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, we're going to pull over and park here for a moment because there's three important things that I need to to point out to you from this verse. One, uh, the word spirit here refers to the spirit behind a prophet or a teacher. So, So spirit really is kind of a, a teacher, but it's really the, the, the spirit behind that teacher. Every human teacher has a spirit directing his or her teaching. And as John will go on to show us in the following verses, this spirit is either the spirit of God or it is the spirit of the Antichrist, i.e. Satan. Paul makes this clear um, when he tells uh, Timothy, a pastor, this, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Here we have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Satan. And both the Holy Spirit and Satan have human mouthpieces. Uh, For the Holy Spirit, in this instance, it's Paul, and for Satan, it's false teachers. Two, John says in verse one that we shouldn't believe every spirit. In other words, we shouldn't gullibly believe everything that we're taught. We shouldn't simply take everything on face value, and that's because, uh, to quote commentator Colin Cruz, not everyone claiming to speak for God actually does so. You've heard it said that uh, you shouldn't believe everything that you read on the internet. You've heard that, right? At least that's what I've heard that Abraham Lincoln once uh, said. (laughs) Let me catch that. Yeah. Likewise, you shouldn't blindly believe everything that you're taught. Instead, number three, John tells us to test the spirits to see if they're from God. The word test is the key word in our passage. It comes from a Greek word uh, that was used in the first century for the testing of materials in order to make sure that they were genuine and unalloyed. Today, um, testing is what cashiers do uh, when you give them a 20 or a 50 or a $100 bill, right? So they'll take that bill, they'll, they'll mark it with ink, and they'll hold it up to the light in order to test and see if it is genuine. And that's a good illustration of what John is telling us to do with what we are being taught. We're to hold it up to the light of God's word and examine whether or not it's pure and without error. In just a moment, we're going to look at how John uh, tells us, how he's going to show us to test what we're being taught. Before he does so, I just want to try to impress upon you just, just how critical and important it is for us to, to do what John's telling us to do here, for, for us to test the spirits. And in order to do that, I want to take you just for a moment to 2 Peter chapter 2. Here, here's what Peter says. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Now, the, the people here are the people of Israel. Lots of false prophets that the, the people of Israel had to deal with in, in the Old Testament. But now John says, but just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So make no mistake, brothers and sisters, there are many false teachers today just like there always has been. False teachers who are secretly trying to bring in their destructive heresies. And if we follow them and allow them to exploit us and lead us astray, we're going to suffer great harm and the gospel that we so greatly treasure is going to be significantly damaged. Brothers and sisters, we, we ignore John's words here in 1 John 4.1 to our great peril. And that's why we must, must, must learn to spot false teachers and false teaching. So how do we do so? Let's take a look at verses 2 through 6. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In these verses, John gives us two tests each indicated by the phrase, by this, that we're to use to spot false teachers. Two tests, all right? The first one is given to us in verses 2 and 3, where John tells us that we should ask, do they teach the truth about Jesus? Specifically, do they teach that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh? John wrote his first letter in part to combat an early um, heresy known as docetism, all right, docetism. Now, uh, you, you don't need to know, you don't need to remember uh, this term, but it is helpful to know that this heresy taught um, that Jesus, okay, was not born as God, all right, but rather that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, came on him at his baptism and departed from him before the crucifixion. Therefore, docetism, the heresy, all right, uh, denied both Jesus' incarnation, that he was God come in the flesh, as well as his atonement, that on the cross, Jesus died to restore us to a relationship with God, to make us one with God again. That's why John says here in verses 2 and 3 that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, literally that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess this is not from God, but rather from the Antichrist. Now, I need to point out this morning that there are many cults today that deny Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. In fact, um, every false religion does so in one way or another. You see, while docetism has long since passed off the scene, uh, its ugly offspring are still alive and kicking uh, today. And, and I just want to take a few minutes this morning uh, to point out a few of these uh, false teachings to you, all right? Let me give you three examples. The first is Mormonism. Mormonism, which teaches that A... 
Jesus was the first spirit born in heaven. B, that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers. And that C, Jesus was conceived naturally when a heavenly father with flesh and bones had sex with Mary. Now, there are many other false doctrines taught by the Church of Latter-day Saints. Uh, In fact, uh, if I could say this, um, there are a lot of crazy doctrines that Mormons teach, okay? I mean, just plain uh, crazy. Uh, And if you study them at all, you should be able to pick them out really quickly. But you know what? This goes to show just how powerful Satan can be in his deceit because there are millions and millions of people who believe this doctrine, all right? But but here's what we need to understand. At the bottom line, the first and foremost issue with Mormonism is that they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That really is, is, is the only place that you need to go when determining okay, that Mormonism is a heresy. The second is Jehovah's Witnesses who teach that, A, there is no trinity, B, that Jesus is a created being who was once uh, the, uh, Michael the archangel, and C, that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Now, again, there are plenty of falsehoods, uh, other falsehoods taught by the Watchtower Society. But in their teaching about Jesus, they clearly show that they're outside of Orthodox Christianity. A third is Christian science, which teaches, A, a trinity of life, truth, and love rather than a father, son, and spirit. B, that Jesus is, is not the Christ. And C, that the sacrifice of Jesus was not sufficient to cleanse people from sin. Now, Christian science has somewhat faded from um, popularity in recent days, uh, but I highlight it for for two reasons. One, uh, there are a number of celebrities um, who um, have either followed or are following this religion. Uh, Amongst them, by the way, believe it or not, Iowa's own Niall Kinnock. Now, some of you want to scream out right now, heresy. (laughs) That's not a heresy, okay? Look it up, all right? He was a Christian scientist. But two, and really more importantly, I highlight it because Christian science uses the name Christian when there's really nothing Christian about it at all. In fact, all three of these cults claim to be Christian, actually vociferously so. You go to the Jehovah's Witnesses website and they will really write on the website, they're going to say, we are Christian. The problem is, okay, that to truly be Christian, you have to affirm that the man Jesus is also fully God, that he is God come in the flesh. All three of these religions deny that, and so they're not Christian at all. They're not from God, but rather they're from Satan. Now, um, if we, we struggle with that, with, with what I just said, with, and really even with the vociferacy, whatever that word is, all right, that I said it with, I, I just want to say this. I, I don't do so um, out of anger, um, and I don't do so um, out of hatred uh, for, for Mormons or for Jehovah's Witnesses or for those who are Christian scientists, okay? But really, rather, I, I pointed out because we need to be clear about what is truth and what is error. The Bible instructs us uh, to be so. Now, I want to encourage you, okay? If you go to Walmart this afternoon, okay, and you run into an elder from the Mormon church, which is very possible that you might do, okay, and you interact with them, be kind, be gracious, 
okay? Be gentle, be loving, all right? That's the way that we want to interact uh, with everyone. But at the same time, we want to be clear about what is true and what is air. Now, in those three cases that I just mentioned, it, it really is uh, fairly easy to identify the false teaching. But I want to give a fourth example where it's not. Now, the name of this heresy is modalism. You may have never heard of that word, all right? But I'm going to give you some examples here where it's actually being taught in just a second. Now, modalism is a heresy that also denies the Trinity, uh, but the way that it does so can be difficult to discern. Modalism teaches that God is one person, not, not three persons, but one person, one person who has revealed himself in three different modes or forms throughout history. In the Old Testament, the mode was the Father. In the Gospels, the mode was the Son. And following the Ascension, the mode was the Holy Spirit. Uh, the problem is, is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're never in existence at the same time. All right? God is either one or the other, which means, among other things, that Jesus was not preexistent, nor is he preexistent now. In all fairness to, to some modalists, okay, they would actually say that Jesus is in existence now. However, their theology teaches that if he is in existence now, that means that the Holy Spirit and the Father can't be. So it denies the Trinity and therefore actually will deny the truth about Jesus. Now here's the kicker with this heresy. There's some prominent people who hold to this view including pastor and author T.D. Jakes and author William P. Young in his book, The Shack. Let's talk about The Shack for a second, all right? The Shack is a book uh, that has sold over 20 million copies, uh, and many of them have been purchased by Christians. I'd probably say most of those 20 million copies have been uh, purchased by Christians, However, there are a lot of theological problems uh, with this book. There was a movie, I think, came out a couple of years ago as well based on, on the book. Lots of problems. But one of them is that the, the book subtly teaches modalism. Now, I, I've read the book, so don't send me an email saying, you probably haven't even read the book. I have read the book, okay? <laughs> and let me just tell you, it, it's a very interesting story. It's really, really well written. But it's well-written heresy, and therefore, it's extremely dangerous. And if you say to me, well, how so? I just have to point out that there's nothing more dangerous than a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Sheep is nice and cute and cuddly, right? All the way up until it sinks its teeth into you, and then it gets really, really deadly really, really quick. All right, and, and I could just give you, I could just tell you, I could give you lots and lots of other examples of so-called Christians that teach heresy. And I thought about doing so, but I actually want to take at least a half a day off this week. And if I actually listed those all out, I'd have so many different questions, so many people who are upset. There's a lot of stuff out there that poses as Christian, all right, but is not Christian at all. It's just outright heresy and that's why we have to, have to always ask, first and foremost, what does this say? What does this teach about Jesus? Does it teach that he is, not was, but is, God come and human flesh? 
Now, the second test we can use to spot false teachers is closely related to the first, and we find this one in the second part of verse 6. So, so look at the last sentence of verse 6 where John says, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, by this here actually is referring to what John says in the beginning of the verse. So, so let's read the beginning of the verse. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, the, the we and us in verse 6 uh, refer to the apostles and their close associates. So, so when John says we and us, he's referring to, to of course, himself and the other apostles as well as the, their close associates like, like Luke and some of the other people who wrote the New Testament documents. So, in effect... What John is talking about with the we and us here is that we're talking about the, the we and us that wrote the New Testament. Therefore, the test that John is giving us here, the test that we can use to spot false teachers is, do they listen to God's word? Do they listen to God's word? If so, John says that they're from God. And if not, you'll note in verse 5 that he says that they're from the world. They're from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Now, I know I'm walking you backwards through the text here, but that's actually the best way to understand what, what John uh, is saying. Verse 6, he says, you can, you can give this test. Are they listening to the word of God? And in verse 5, he says, if they're not listening to the word of God, that means they're from the world, they're speaking from the world, and the world is going to listen to them. Regardless, hopefully the point is clear. We can and we should test our teachers by examining if their teaching is in line with God's word. If it is, that means they're from God. And if it isn't, that means they aren't. Now, likewise, and this is actually key for each and every one of us. It also means that if their teaching is in line with God's word, then we should heed it. And if their teaching is not in line with God's word, we should reject it. Everybody got that? All right? If their teaching is in line with God's word, we should listen to it. We should follow it. And if it's not in line with God's word, we should reject it. Now, I want to point out that this passage gives us great encouragement if we do so. It tells us that if we heed teaching that's in line with God's word and reject teaching that is not, then we can have a great assurance of our salvation. Let's look at verse 4 again, where John writes this. He says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Greek word for, translated um, for overcome here is one that we're all familiar with. It's one that we've all seen thousands and thousands of times. Now, I know that your eyes might normally glaze over when I talk about Greek words, all right? But, but you know this one. Can you, can you guess what the Greek word for overcome is? You've seen, it's a logo you've seen hundreds, probably thousands of times in, in your life. Some of you are wearing this logo this morning. It's Nike. It's Nike, and it means to be victorious, and you'll note that John says that those who are from God are victorious over them, and the them are the false teachers. Children of God are victorious over false teachers because the one who is in them, i.e. the Holy Spirit, 
is greater than the one who is in the world, i.e. Satan. Now, what does this all have to do with the assurance of salvation? Well, I want you to stick with me here. Verses 2 and 6 tell us that we can know that we have the Holy Spirit if we listen to and believe the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is ultimately the one who teaches us the truth about Jesus. And so if we are listening to and believing this truth, then we can know that we have the Spirit and that we have and will continue to have victory over false teachers. Not only the false teachers, but also the one who is behind false teachers, Satan himself. Now you want to have victory over Satan, right? Do you want to have victory over Satan? How do you have victory over Satan? You believe the truth about God's word and you listen to it. If you believe and you listen, John tells you that you will defeat Satan, you will have victory over him, and that will give you great assurance of your salvation. Now, let's conclude uh, this morning by talking about two significant implications of our text today. Two very significant implications. First, this passage reveals the importance of knowing the Bible. It reveals the importance of knowing the Bible. Uh, I, I, want, I want all of you to look at me here for a second, okay, just so, so I know I have your attention. All right. I, I want you to hear today that in verse 1 of our text, John is speaking directly to each one of us. What he says in verse 1 is for every single one of us. We are all to test the spirits. We are all to examine what we are being taught. This isn't just something that elders are called to do. It's something that all of us are called to do. We're all supposed to be uh, like the Bereans in Acts 17, who didn't even take what the Apostle Paul taught at face value, but instead compared um, what he said to the Scriptures in order to make sure that what he was telling them was true. Now now listen, if, if, if they were even examining what Paul said, Okay, and in other words, like Paul, we're we're not so sure. So we're going to go to our Bibles. Just think about that. This is a guy who wrote most of the, the the New Testament. All right, so he's teaching them. They're saying, Paul, we're not so sure. We're just going to we're going to fact check you here, Paul. All right, we're going to make sure that what you say is true. If they did that with him, then you better believe that we better do it with everything that we are being taught today. That includes what you hear from this pulpit and what you hear from me. You should never take anything that I say at face value and simply believe it because I have said it. You need to take everything that I say that any teacher says and you need to hold it up to the light of Scripture to make sure that it is in line with what God has truly said. Don't with me here? Okay. Now, here's where the importance of knowing the Bible comes in. The better that we know the Bible, the easier it will be for us to spot false teaching. I understand that bank tellers um, don't have to be taught how to spot counterfeit bills because they actually touch and see the real ones so much that whenever a fake one comes along, it's readily apparent to them. 
The same thing is true with false teaching. The, the best way to learn how to identify false teaching is to know the truth. To know the truth. The better that you know the truth, the easier it will be to spot error. And, and hopefully you've gotten this already, but I just want to emphasize this to you again. What's the big deal about this? If you don't spot error and you start to follow error, it will lead you astray. It will lead you away from the Lord. And, and quite frankly, I can tell you stories, so some really sad stories of people, okay, who were obviously following the Lord, okay, but because they actually didn't get into the Word, didn't actually study the truth, they were led astray by error, and right now are completely, they really have completely thrown in the towel on their faith. This is a huge issue. So let me talk practically just for a moment about um, how you can grow in knowing the Bible. How do you grow in knowing the Bible? It begins uh, with regularly sitting under the preaching of God's word, which you are doing right now. now. Now, obviously, you need to test what you're being taught with the word. We just talked about that, which, by the way, is why it's really important for you to bring your Bible on Sunday. You getting the point there? All right. You can't compare what you're being taught to the Bible if you don't have a Bible. All right. So get your Bible out and, and study it as the word is being preached. But the point here is, is that the preaching of God's word is the first and foremost way that God has ordained for his people to learn his word. So we come to know our Bible better by making it a priority to faithfully and regularly sit under sound preaching. Now, if you're, you're asking yourself or you're saying, uh, you, or thinking you want to ask me, what do you mean by regularly? I think you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't whether or not you should go to church on Sunday. The question is, is there a better reason why I don't go to church on Sunday? And given what we've talked about today, I hope that you know what the answer is to that, or at least what my answer is to that. Another way you can grow in knowing the Bible is through our Equip You classes. So this is a relatively new ministry that we began um, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Uh, but we specifically have designed and are designing classes to, can you guess, equip you to learn and to know how to study and apply the Bible. So I want to challenge all of you um, to participate in this, every single one of you to participate in this, to consider to signing up uh, for some of these classes. And I would just absolutely love it if one of the outcomes of this message today is that those classes get full to the point where we have to add more of them. I'm making our staff panic right now, I know, and saying that, but they'll be happy to figure out how we can do more of those classes. Sign up for Equip You, get equipped to study, learn, and apply the Bible. Finally, your growth in Bible knowledge will ultimately come down to how much you commit to study it on your own. You see, uh, we all have to assume personal responsibility for knowing the Bible. In fact, that's a key takeaway from our passage today. At the end of the day, I can't know the Bible for you. Your elders can't know your Bible for you. Your parents or spouse can't know your Bible for you. You have to know the Bible for you. And that means you have to study it on your own and learn to compare everything you're being taught to what it says. Now, if right now you're like, I don't know how to study the Bible, then 
guess what? Take one of those Equip You classes. Talk to one of our pastors or elders. Ask another, a more spiritually mature believer. There's lots of those here at Harmony to come alongside you and to show you how to study the Bible. I truly believe this, and I actually know this given what we see in God's Word. Every single Christian can learn to study God's Word and to spot false teaching. We can all do it. It takes a little work. It takes a little effort. But it is well, well worth it. Make that application today. Here's a second implication from our passage. This passage underscores the necessity of contending for the faith. Underscores the necessity of contending for the faith. So I want you to turn with me uh, to the letter of Jude. All right, take your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, grab one of the black ones in front of you and turn uh, to the letter of Jude. It's like one or two pages over uh, from 1 John. So 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude. All right, it's probably just one page in, in your Bible. It comes right before Revelation. Uh, Jude is only 25 verses long, and pretty much every single one of them has something to say about false teaching. And I want us to look at just two of these verses, verses 3 and 4, all right? So Jude 3 and 4. Jude, by the way, uh, is the brother of James in verse 1, he says, which means that he is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? Half-brother of Jesus here speaking to us today, and he says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Harmony, we need to take what Jude says in verse three to heart. We need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The word contend means to exert intense effort on behalf of something. And the something that we need to exert intense effort on behalf of is the faith delivered to us in this book. This is the faith that was once for all delivered to, to the saints, to you and I. It's the faith that is in Jesus Christ, the God-man who died for our sins and rose again so that we might be saved. This is what Jude is calling us to contend for with everything that is in us. We must do so because just like 2,000 years ago, today there are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. In doing so, they not only condemn themselves, but also those whom they deceive. And that's why we must contend for the faith. We must contend for the faith for ourselves. We must contend for our children. And we must contend for our community. We must contend for ourselves because if we don't, we're going to risk being led astray into false doctrine. We're going to, be, to, to risk being led astray from the faith. Again, this happens to people all the time. It is a real danger. We must contend for our children. Because if we don't, the faith through which salvation comes will not be passed on to them. Adults, this is serious business. 
Did you realize that faith is never passed on passively, only proactively? Can I say that again? Faith is never passed on passively. It's only passed on proactively. And so if we don't contend for the faith in short order, there will be no faith in our children and our grandchildren. This was evident to me in my recent trip to Turkey where... I went to all of these cities where there at one time were vibrant New Testament churches. We know they were vibrant because we can see that in the pages of the New Testament. But do you know how many of these cities have churches left in them today? Smyrna, Ephesus, Laodicea, Colossae, on and on you can go. Do you know how many of them have churches there today? Zero. None. Why? Because at some point, the believers in those churches quit contending for their children. And because they quit contending for their children, their children didn't have faith, and the church died. And if you don't think that that can happen here, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. I'm not being an alarmist. There is a clear and present danger And so parents especially, it's time to wake up and to start contending for our children, for our grandchildren. Finally, we must contend for our community. Our community, and I don't think that this is hard to see, but our community desperately needs churches that are unwavering when it comes to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Churches that are committed to unapologetically proclaiming and living in light of the truth. You know, we're, we're here, I'm speaking at the Burlington campus here this morning, but as I came to this campus this morning, I drove by all kinds of churches that are not contending for the faith. They've given up on the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And those churches are all dying. They're all dying. And they're dying because they're not contending for the faith. That's what happens when you don't contend for the faith. And that is true, not only in Burlington, but it's true in Fort Madison, it's true in Danville, it's true in Mount Pleasant, it's true in Minneapolis, it's true in every town in Southeast Iowa. By the way, there are still churches that are contending for the faith that aren't Harmony Bible Church, and we're really thankful for those churches. We're not the end-all, be-all of what God is doing here, nor will we be at any time. We don't even desire for that. But this, this is why... We believe that God has called us to multiply into as many communities, many areas in this region as possible. Because we believe that God is not done building his church. He's not done with us. And the way that we see him work is by us contending for the faith, by speaking the truth, by living in light of the truth so that As we do, people can be saved, the big C church can grow, and the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be magnified in this world. Eight years ago, I moved my family here to Southeast Iowa because of this very truth. We left a good church, we left all of our family, My kids left the only home that they had ever known. And we came here. And why did we come here? Because we saw a desperate need 
for a church to contend for the truth. Now, Harmony Bible Church has been that church in Danville for 50 years at that time. But Harmony Bible Church had a vision, the leaders had a vision to do that not only in Danville, but as in many places as God would make it possible throughout this region and then through this region, the world. And so I've stood before you many times over the last eight years, and I've tried to teach this, and I've tried to plead with you to join in this. Some of you have, maybe many of you have, but there are a lot of you who still need to join in and say, we're going in for that so that we can contend for the faith, pass that faith on to our children and grandchildren, and see that faith become vibrant in our community in a way that the glory of Jesus Christ could be made known not only here, but all around the world. I want to close with this today. It's a quote from Pastor James Boyce regarding today's passage where he writes this. The tragedy of our time is that we do not have enough men and women to proclaim and defend doctrine. So the truth is not clearly defined and the way is not clearly illuminated. The doctrine of the apostles, the only true doctrine of the church, illuminates it, and the incarnation of God's Christ defines and gives a focal point to that doctrine. It is for us to determine whether or not we believe that doctrine, and if we do, to respond to it. There are not three ways, according to the apostle. There are not four or five or more. There are only two ways, the way of truth and the way of error, the way of Christ and the way of antichrist. We are called to serve Christ And those who are of God will do so. Let's pray.